0: Welcome to Auto Sausage. Hey, it's Greg Stanley, and this is where we grind together bits of automotive awesomeness into a semi-brief podcast. I find that the more I talk, the more in-depth I get, the little bit longer it gets. So I'm trying to talk fast. Well, I naturally talk fast, so... No biggie there. Before we begin, first a reminder that the auto sausage auction game number five guessing window is now closed. So it closed yesterday. This is for the RM Sotheby's Spring Auburn auction that's occurring now. And you can watch the auction live on their website or on your smartphone with the Haggerty Insiders app. So it's pretty cool. Make sure you're on a Wi-Fi connection so you don't suck up all of your data. So my best guesses are already posted at www. Why do people still say that? Not quite sure. AutoSausage.com. And let's do a quick review before we get into the fabulous Thunderbirds that sold at Meekum Indy last week. So, for the five cars for this auto sausage auction game number five, I picked the 1967 Corvette Stingray. This particular car I said would sell for $92,000. I said it had desirable options and color, or had desirable colors and options. It's a beautiful red car. And it will overcome the declining muscle car market and older restoration because of the cool options and the color. It's a nice red side pipe car with red lines. The next car is a 1957 Bel Air convertible. I said it would sell for $82,500 for the same reason as the Corvette, which I thought was pretty interesting. So it's another red car, gorgeous restoration, nice options, a little bit older restoration. I think I graded it as a number two condition. And then the next car was a 1994 Toyota Supra twin-turbo Targa. Fantastic car. These are going up significantly. I think one recently sold at an auction, the Young Timers auction, for like $192,000. And then the dealer who bought it immediately put it back on sale for like $500,000, which is just totally nuts. He was just trying to get some press. That car only had like 3,000 miles. I said, even though the sales trends on these are up hard... This one will miss the low estimate because of high mileage. So I said it would sell for around $55,000. This car has 75,000 miles on it. And these rare, not rare, but these 80s and 90s cars, mileage is a big impact to value. One I'll use as as an example to the 1986 and 1989 Mercedes 500 SLs. Anything under, say, 14,000, 15,000 miles is an $80,000 car. But once you get up to 30,000, 40,000 miles, you're looking at a $40,000 car. Once you get over 100,000 miles, you're looking at a $15,000 car. So mileage is a big deal in these, and I don't think it was factored in well enough for this particular Supra. The fourth car is a 2007 Noble M400. I said it would sell for $72,000. I feel like Nobles do not get a lot of love in the U.S., even though they're great cars. I just don't think they're quite there yet. Recent auction trends show that British cars continue to climb, Most of that has to do with the Jaguar E-Type, but I don't think this one's getting the love yet in the U.S., so I'm going to say it's going to miss the low estimate by hitting $72,000. And the last one is a 1965 Shelby Cobra 289 replica car, 8,000 series. I think this will be a massive miss because it looks so ugly. The wheels, I love Cobras. Cobras are gorgeous, but these wheels are just horrible on this car. They're meant to look like the old AC Cobra wheels, but they're not deep dish. They come flush with the fenders, all sorts of things wrong with the wheels that make it look horrible. So I said $87,000. I think the lowest they on that car is like 120. This is a big miss I'm calling, which is kind of risky. As a reminder for the auto auction game, if a car doesn't sell, I will use the highest bid that is realized and published by the auction house. And whoever has the lowest total difference from the total hammer price for all five cars wins. So you could be a little bit high, or a little bit lower, whoever's the lowest total difference would win. And a special thank you to our sponsor for this game, Tillamook Beef Jerky. So they are also the sponsor for our future game, Mecham Denver Auction, coming up in July. So if you do not win this one, go out there, sign up, and try to win the next one, and you can win almost $100 of ground-up goodness. So be sure to play. And our next auction game is Meekum Portland, And that guessing window will open June the 7th. So you can go on the website autosausage.com. You can play or sign up for the newsletter or sign up for reminders and be sure to play. Just a quick call out. If you are in the market for a new classic car and you want someone to review that car in person, shoot me a note as I might be attending quite a few of these auctions in the future. So I could take a look at the car for you, shoot you some pictures, a quick video, whatever. So shoot me a note. Uh, there's links on the auto sausage website and be sure to check out my Instagram feed at auto sausage for auction updates and cool car picks from my visits as I travel the country for work. And this week I posted a few pictures from places I visited up in new England. So now it's time for a market moment. So if you listen to my previous podcast, you know that the collector car market is making a generational shift right now from cars of the 1950s, sixties, and early seventies to ones of the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. So basically, folks like me finally have some discretionary income to buy the car that was in the poster that was on our bedroom walls when we were a little kid. For the record, mine was a white 1986-ish Lamborghini Countach, and it was not factory correct because it had the rear spoiler and the front spoiler. I don't believe the front spoiler was an option, and I know people don't like that particular year because of the big bumpers, But as a little 13-year-old kid, I had no idea that the bumpers were ugly. I thought it was awesome. And it was white with red interior and had the white wheels. And I ran into that exact car in Jacksonville, Florida, as I'm driving my bike up to Kmart to get a slushie at the local Racket Power. The guy who owned Racket Power, Racket Club, apparently had one of those. And that was the first supercar I ever saw in person. And it was the same one that was on my bedroom wall, which was totally awesome. So that was cool. So I had a great opportunity at Meekum Indianapolis, I think it was last week, to do a deep dive on 14 fabulous Thunderbirds that were being sold. So this was pretty cool. They were all immaculate, grade number one. They were all rare in one way or another. And they were all restored by marquee experts. In this case, it was the mentors out of Dallas, Texas, and all they work on are rare Thunderbirds 55 to 57. So they brought some of the rarest ones to this auction to sell them. So how do they do, and how do these results reflect on the larger collector marketplace? Well, first, let's take a look at what's going on in the collector marketplace, and this is all through Hagger's Valuation Tools. So I'm going to give just a brief recap. If you want more in-depth info, go to their website and check it out. They offer some great valuation tools and advice from the experts. 1950s American cars. They've been slightly down for the last three years, and even when you look back at the 11-year snapshot, and this was driven by double-digit declines on a few specific models, including the Buick Skylark, which is a gorgeous car, Cadillac Eldorado, and the Chevy Bel Air convertible, which is really interesting because I just mentioned in our auto auction game we have a 1957 Chevy Bel Air in that game. So 1960s muscles cars have slightly declined as well, After a few years of growth. So these have been going up for years and now they're declining, which I experienced when I sold my Mustang on Bring a Trailer. So that did not bring as much as I think it should have. I was also kind of peeped because I did all sorts of work to get all the information, even interviewing the owner that bought it in 1967, and that did not seem to add much value, which kind of sucked. So Blue chip cars and British cars have been up strongly the last 11 years and slightly up the last three, mostly driven by high dollar early Ferraris and early Jaguar E-types. So the, the Ferraris, it's the big dollar ones, it's the 250 GTOs, one recently sold for $48 million, uh, actually to someone here in Cincinnati, which is kind of neat. I haven't seen it yet, but I hope to. For the record, now there's two GTOs in Cincinnati, which is kind of cool since they only made 37 of them. And the early Jaguar E-types, the ones with the flat floor and the hood bonnet latches, so those have continued to be strong and help drive up the British cars and the blue chip. So Ferraris, they actually have plateaued. They've been on a tear for like 15 years. And the Ferrari Dino, which technically isn't a Ferrari, that has already plateaued after going from like, you know, an average of 200 grand to Mm -hmm. up to 400 grand. Those have plateaued and starting to see some declines on those particular cars. And then German cars are up strong. Uh, 911 prices, Porsche 911s, are declining slightly, but they've been on a tear for a long time. And interestingly enough, the 914 prices are going up, especially the first two-year cars, which were officially Porsches. And then the 1980s and 1990s Mercedes-B&Ws, those are growing strong, as evident in the recent Young Timers auction results. So this is a collection of cars from the 80s and 90s. Really strong results. You can reference some of those on my previous podcasts. podcast. I think some are still coming up for auction. They kind of sprinkled them through numerous auction houses, different events. So if we have more fun that, I'll be sure to share it. So how does this read into selling pristine and rare Thunderbirds? Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, as you didn't ask. I'm asking myself. That era of cars, as I mentioned before, the 1950s American cars are declining in value, and some of the higher-dollar cars are being affected more than the lower-valued ones. So there's also this big trend where buyers want comfort, convenience, and drivability, which we can see in the recent results for pro-touring cars and resto mods. So these are cars where the car looks old, looks classic, but it has all the comfort, convenience, and power of a new car. So a lot of folks now, they don't want to experience a car from the 1950s. They just want to experience the design and the look from the 1950s, but have all the modern comfort and convenience of a new car. So those are very expensive Typically, it's a frame-off restoration with, with all sorts of customized drivetrain, powertrain, braking, suspension, power steering, power windows, AC, all sorts of stuff done to it. So if you want one done really well, you're going to have to spend 150 to 300 grand. But we are seeing more and more of those come to auction and realize some big dollars. And also, the these T-birds that we're talking about, the 14 that we're talking about, were all restored back to the factory standards of the 1950s. So I love that. I love the factory standards. I want to see the chalk marks on the engine or the drivetrain. I want to see the numbers, that, the grease marker numbers that tell you what shift it was built in or what the options were. But they drive like old cars. And these were restored to such a pristine condition. They're really meant strictly for a Concourse-Showfield. I mean, some people will buy them in And drive the heck out of them which is great but they were just immaculate and ready to be shown on a personal note, i also think t birds have been undervalued for many years so forever you could see a nice driver selling for 25k to 40k and it didn't really increase much over the last 15 years or so so i think they've in general have been underappreciated because they are gorgeous cars so now let's get to the specifics of these 14 cars in indy first off only eight of the 14 actually sold these are great cars, and they should have sold for more, and they were restored by a noted restoration shop, and Mecham did an amazing job. So as soon as you walked into the main pavilion there, all 17 of them were, our 14 were on display. They were tremendously well represented in the marketing material, and like I said before, they were in immaculate shape. So from an overall results perspective, as I said, 8 of the 14 sold, 57% sold, Only 35, 36% hit the low estimate, which is kind of depressing, and only one car actually hit the high estimate. If you go into the specific different models, we had nine F-Code Thunderbirds, so this is a really rare one. I think it's a supercharged, 300 horsepower. 44% of those sold. Only one of them hit the high estimate. And one thing that was interesting is Haggerty's price guide for this car in number one condition, immaculate, pristine, concourse condition, was two hundred twenty thousand dollars. Now they only give a little bit of variance. I think it was four or six thousand dollars for whether or not it came with a hardtop or not. So two hundred twenty grand, give or take. Well, the average estimate for these F codes, these nine F codes at this auction was almost $300,000, $297,000. So you look at the S auction estimate was, let me do some quick math here, was almost $80,000 higher than what the Haggerty price guide called for. So a little optimistic. The difference here is is that it's they were restored by a noted restoration shop, which should add a significant amount of value. They were really rare colors. Some of them were one of one, one of three. One of them had a racing transmission, which is the one I would have gone after. And then many of them were award winners, like AACA award winners or the Thunderbird Club International Concourse event winners, which seemed to add significant value as well. So the biggest miss on these F codes was a 1957 Azure blue car. It's the only one in this color. It was a porthole delete hardtop, which I guess is pretty rare. I don't know if I'd want that, though. I'd rather have the porthole. And it was an AACA first prize winner. It missed the low estimate by $65,000. So of all the cars, that was the biggest miss, which I found interesting because I thought it was one of the prettier colors. Now, if we're looking at the E-Codes, that's a 270 horsepower option for these cars. Pretty rare. And they only had two of them there, but both of them sold. Now, the interesting thing is, is they barely hit the low estimate. Like they scraped over the low estimate and they sold. They were significantly below the average value for Haggerty, uh, I want to say the Haggerty value was like, I want to say one hundred and fifty in mint condition, and these sold for like one hundred and forty-five down to I want to say it was like one hundred and twenty-seven for one of them. So they underperformed, even though they did sell. They, in my mind, underperformed. Mm-hmm. And then the one early production car we had, a nineteen fifty-five, it missed a low estimate by a large margin, by twenty-four thousand dollars. It was aggressively priced, I believe. If you look at What an early production, not an early production, but 1955 mint condition car in Haggerty's price guide valuation tool would sell for. It would, this one was, the low estimate was $37,000 above what Haggerty said it should sell for. Now, this one had the smaller 292 cubic inch engine. I just think the expectations might've been too high on this car. I believe it was one of the first 160 T-Birds made. I think if it was one of the first 50, it probably would've hit that number. It might have been a little bit too later in the production run to really have any sort of significant impact. So as a recap, and I'm going to put this in a nice little presentation, I have it on YouTube at some point, 78.6% of the cars were bitted at or below the low estimate. So underperformed, only one car exceeded the high estimate. There's a huge gap on that Azure car I mentioned, and being an early car did not add much value to the one early production car the best of the best can still bring big money so one of the cars that brought the big money that exceeded the high estimate was a rare willow green car so it had rare paint it was like one of three or something it had desirable options and it had the original window sticker which i believe adds a lot of value to the car interestingly enough coming from a premier restoration shop did not add that much value which was shocking because it should have. Uh, Mecham's estimates are a little bit high on the high end. Um, I think that's hard to read, especially when you factor in the rarity and the paint codes and the restoration shop work. And the high scores from notable events did seem to add value. So even if the car didn't sell, the bid price was significantly higher than the Haggerty average value of $220,000. So the one that really seemed to have effect was the Thunderbird Club International Concourse events. So at this event, if a car was perfect, it would get 300 points. And many of these cars either hit 300 points or were like 297 out of 300 points. That did seem to add value to the selling price of these cars. The last lesson is that the Haggerty price guide seems to be pretty evident when you're looking at it across all 14 of these cars. For the cars that actually did sell, the eight cars that sold, Haggerty was within 1.9% accurate for the total sales price. Interestingly enough, they got it to the penny in accuracy when factoring the total bid price for the cars that were judged at the Thunderbird Club International Concourse event. So for those cars that were judged at that event, whether they sold or not, Haggerty's price estimate was spot on exactly, which is really amazing. So our next market moment will be a future episode, and I'm going to review the seven AC Cobras that were also at Mecham Indianapolis, which should be pretty interesting. I think three of the seven sold, maybe it was four of the seven sold. We had a Dragon Snake that did not sell a couple 427 cars, I think that was it i love cobras that will be an interesting one as well thanks again for joining me on my automotive adventures and good luck playing the auto sausage auction game and don't forget to check out my other podcast called learn from others where i share the career journeys of successful individuals with high school and college students there will be some cool car people there coming up soon i ask fun car questions at the end so be sure to listen in i'll talk to you all next week Thank you.